Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers Journal, bringing 379,000 readers the latest farming news and the best of rural Ireland weekly. And you're welcome back to the Currafin Community Hall in the heart of the Burren in County Clare, where we're enjoying the Burren Winterage Festival. And I want to say good morning to Susan Daly, who's busy looking after a full house of guests in her B&B in Doolin. Good morning, Susan. Your daughter, Kate Daly, is here safe and sound. She'd usually be helping you out this morning, but instead she chose to come here uh, to sing a little song for us. So, Kate, take it away. I skimmed across black waters without one submerging onto the banks of an urban morning that hungers the first light much, much more than the mountains ever do. And she, like a ghost beside me, goes down with the ease of a dolphin and emerges unlearned, unshamed, unharmed. For she is the perfect creature, natural in every feature, and I am the geek with the alchemist stone. For all of you who must discover, for all who seek to understand, for having left the path of others, you'll find a very special hand. And it is a holy thing, and it is a precious time, and it is the only way. Forget-me-nots among the snow, it's always been and so it goes, to ponder his death and his life eternally. One bright blue rose outlives all those, two thousand years and still it goes, to ponder his death and his life eternally. Kate, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. And I know you can stay. You don't have to go back home to Doolin just yet. Mammy will uh, continue uh, serving the breakfast there until later on. That is Kate Daly with uh, Bright Blue Rose, uh, the Jimmy McCarthy song. Okay, I know you're going to be performing tonight, supported by the Clare Arts Office under the live local performance scheme. And Kate will be performing in the local church in Kilfenora, accompanied by Donald McHugh. And the concert will include opera, Irish art songs and songs from the musical. So look forward to that later on. Thank you very much, Kate. Now, every night next week at 10 o'clock, RTE Radio 1 is hosting Nature Nights. Now, the airwaves will be filled with sounds of the natural world and human voices exploring, explaining, 
thinking and reflecting on our impact on this world. And some of the voices will be very familiar to listeners of Countrywide, including Jane Clark, whom you just heard from earlier, John Connell, Ella McSweeney and Hannah Quill Mulligan, as well as voices from the Mooney Golds Wild team. Now, threaded through the week is a series by Michelle Brown called Custodians of Nature. And some of the voices that you'll hear include Derek Lachlan, who is working on a project to preserve blanket bogs in County Mayo. And this, the voice of Dr. Catherine Farrell, who is working to preserve the wetlands of Karuniski, also in County Mayo. Here we can see the mint. So mint is a real good indicator for wetlands. And there's other things here like pennywort that I can see the round shaped leaves that tell me it's a wetter part of the system. And this is the honey pot for your breeding waders. So the, the waders can bring the chicks in into this lovely sort of sheltered area. There's loads of food for them. And then they can run out into dry areas as well and get what food is out there. So it's this mosaic that's really important for feeding your chicks if you're a a mommy lapwing or a daddy lapwing. My love of nature has always been there and having grown up on a farm, I was always outdoors. I was always working with cows. So I love animals. And then we would have spent lots of time working in the fields and you know it was at the time in the late 70s and early 80s when there was this big drive to drain every inch of agricultural land in Ireland and I suppose my family would have been you know trying to do the right thing from that perspective and during that time I witnessed myself the conversion of beautiful wetlands naturally flowing rivers and streams and channels lots of different birds like snipe and lapwing on our farm small pockets of woodlands and i saw all of those disappear and i often think about it and i feel wow if that was just our farm that was extended right across the island of ireland so no wonder all of these species have been lost or pushed to the edge so since then Knowing what we've lost has always driven me to try and bring it back. And I was very fortunate when I started my own research. And I've seen the success stories where projects I started work on 25 years ago are starting to come back to life. And there's cranes coming back into the Midlands bogs. On the site in northwest Mayo, there were Dunlans starting to come back and nest on that particular area. On Eris Head, the ecologist Dr Derek McLaughlin is also very aware of the impact of degraded habitats. He is the manager of the Wild Atlantic Nature Life Project and this looks after special areas of conservation including the Great Bog of Eris. And in the Great Bog of Eris we used to have maybe 250 to 300 individual Greenland white-fronted geese that would feed on the bog throughout, throughout the years. They'd roost up on the mountain tops throughout the winter and they'd head off back up to to Greenland each spring. Uh, And now we're down to probably about maybe 35 to 50 birds. 
they leave Ireland at the end of spring and they, they take off, fly all the way to Greenland and you'll see them here at the end of the winter with their practice flights and they'll fly out over the sea in a big V, that's skiing of geese and they'll turn and they'll come back and, and, and they'll land and they'll go at it a few times and then they're gone uh, and they go to Greenland and their breeding success in Greenland is, is actually reducing as well. But Derek's role is all about doing what he can to restore, protect and develop this special habitat. And he thinks getting policy right can be key. It's not what we're doing necessarily today that has caused that. It's what we've done over the last uh, number of decades. If we could flick a switch overnight, what would we do? Something that has been demonstrated in the Burren is this idea of what they call ORBAPs, Results-Based Agri-Environment Payments. Relating a farmer's agri-environment payments to the quality of their habitats. So they can decide, do they want to invest more in the food or do they want to invest more in the, the ecological aspect to it? Or do they want a mix of both? So th this approach very much puts the, the power and the flexibility with farmers. They can start to develop you know, approaches towards managing the land for biodiversity as, as well as food. Yeah, that was Dr. Derek McLaughlin speaking with Michelle Brown, a taster there of the Nature Nights series, which runs all next week at 10pm here on RTE Radio 1. Well, I'm now joined by Dr. Brendan Dumford of the Burren Programme, which Derek mentioned there, and also here with me, farmers Michael Davern and Aoife Ford. Good morning. Good morning. Great morning. to have you all. Aoife, how do you explain what the Winteridge Festival is to people from outside Clare? Well, I suppose it's just a real wonderful celebration of what we do here in the Burn. Um, so I suppose we're very unique here. Um, normally this time of the year, as land is starting to get wet, I suppose people are starting to put their cattle into sheds. Whereas we are thinking about uh, sending them off up onto the hills of the Burn, which are called winterages, where they'll stay for the winter months. Um, and they'll graze the, the rich pasture um, and it'll keep them going right up until the springtime. And that goes for yourself as well. You're farming here, are you? Yeah, I am. I'm farming alongside my parents. So, uh, look, it's it's a fantastic tradition that we have. Um, something that I, we've always done and something I can always remember doing is putting our cattle to the winterages. And I suppose it's fantastic to have the winter weekend to celebrate that and to allow people from all over Ireland to become a burn farmer for the weekend. Yeah, I was just saying to Patrick the other day, it'll keep keep you fit now over the winter having to climb up and down those mountains to count them every day. <laughs> That's it, sure. We'll get our 10,000 steps in, no bother. <laughs> you, you will indeed. Brendan, when did the, the spark happen to, to form the, the Burren programme? How did it all begin around here? I think it, it, it began about 20 years ago, more or less. And there was a frustration at the time with the kind of top-down approach to management of this special place because first and foremost, the burn is the most magical, wonderful, beautiful, fantastic landscape in the world, I think. And you've heard a flavour of that this morning. But it demands a certain care. Yeah. Uh, and that care has to be very bespoke because it is such a unique landscape. So I think the local farming community, led by Michael, who is a, an amazing leader, um, decided, well, we want to look after this in our way, in a better way, in a way that respects our tradition and our culture. So I came along as a student back about 20 years ago and had a great time learning from farmers about how this place really works on a year-on basis. That story, which is told in the form of a book, was the story of farming and the burren. So then with that and the impetus that it developed um, between National Parks and Wildlife Service and Togusk and the local farmers, unlocked some funding from Europe because Europe wants to see this, this, these landscapes looked after. Mm. You're a bit ahead of your time in that regard when you look at the farm to fork and green 
deal policy now, which has been talked about improving biodiversity, reducing the carbon footprint of agriculture. You were thinking well ahead like that, weren't you? But Damien, we're all thinking well ahead. That's <laughs> it. We have to keep ahead of the, the policy. But at the time then, we basically were given a blank sheet of paper to design a programme to suit the burn. So we designed a programme which really was farmer-centred because I view farmers as a huge resource in the management of our landscape in addressing climate crises, biodiversity crises, food nutrition crises. But we had to work with them and make it user-friendly. Yeah. So we removed all the bureaucracy, the paperwork, and we designed a payment system which rewarded those farmers who did the most and delivered the most. And that's what Derek meant by result-based. To also choose to farm in a certain way to deliver these wonderful biodiversity outcomes that we cherish in the barn, we rewarded the most. Mm. And ever since then, that's back in 2010 that began, we've had 13 years of consistent, proven environmental improvement in the barn, bucking every trend when you talk about water quality, biodiversity, yeah. all these things aren't. And that's been done by the work of three or 400 farmers who manage and have managed this landscape for thousands of years, the hard work of advisors and of a local team. So it's been a great success. And those who visit the barn today can really appreciate that. There's about 100,000 metres of stone wall have been repaired. Three or 400 water sources have been fixed up and about 100 kilometres yeah. of pathways have been opened to connect grazing areas. So it's been fantastic. Yeah, I was, I was speaking to <clears throat> a regenerative farmer from the US, uh, Gay Brown, on our programme, Michael Davern, last week. And we were talking about the much maligned, you know, bovine animal um, when we talk about improving, you know, the landscape around us. And he says it's not the cow, it's the how. How important is livestock to, I suppose, the backdrop that um, Brendan paints there in this area? Well, I suppose the, the, the live animal, the, the cow, as you say, is the most important tool in environmental farming because she hoovers up the rank grasses that allows in the light and allows the, the little plants to thrive. In a green field, there may be half a dozen plants anywhere in Ireland. In the burn hills, when it's hoovered off by the cows grazed for the winter, you would have 32 plants. To, and that's what gives me a score of 10 which delivers a big income to me. Right. The, the, to me, as a farmer, the biggest secret to the Burn Life project was the scoring system. It, in, it firstly identifies the environmental integrity of every field in the burn, but it doubles up, for me as a farmer, as a payment method. So the better I farm, the higher the environmental integrity mm. and more money I can earn. And it's against this background that we're absolutely shocked that the Department of Agriculture have decided to close down the Burn Life Project as we need, as we know it. It's absolutely absurd. Mm. It's an outrage. And what, what impact is that going to have on farmers like yourself here in terms of, of income and, I suppose, planning for the future? Well, firstly, we have, for the last 20-odd years, managed our farm as an entire unit and the more environmental benefit we deliver to the farm, the more we get paid. Under the new scheme, we'll only have to manage 20 hectares. Mm. This is under the new acre scheme. This, this is, is the new, new agri environmental scheme, scheme which yes. has been announced and has been rolled out over the next couple of years. So, it, it, this is something that applies to all farmers in Ireland. But down here, you were getting that special extra premium because you were delivering. Well, firstly, the burn is, is literally a laboratory. It's 20 odd years, as you said yourself in your intro there to Brendan, uh, we were ahead of the curve. The, the research that's going on in the burn life project is akin to what. Uh, more park does to dairying or grain does okay. to beef farming. 
there'd be outcry if either of those institutions were closed down. Mm. This is the same for the environment, not just for Ireland, but right across Europe. All the other EIPs are based on the scoring system and what the Life Project presented. And, but I know in my heart and soul, this will not happen. And the reason I know it is... Last July, we had the environmental conference, National Environmental Conference in Dublin Castle. Four of us were invited from the Bourne to talk to all in sundry on best practice on how the environment can best be managed right. through farming. And please let me finish. <coughs> yeah. and, and, and four minutes, three ministers, Minister Hackett, Minister Malcolm Noonan and Minister Darrell Breen all referenced the Bourne as best practice. Sure. And the Taoiseach, the Taoiseach committed to the conference that the government, this government, wouldn't be found wanting when it came to managing and protecting the environment. So I have no doubt we would be seeking a meeting with Minister McConnell Oak, and I have no doubt when we sit down and explain the facts to him, he too will see the light yeah. and well, this project will, will continue. Well, I think if they send you up first anyway, Michael, <laughs> it'll be reversed. And we have asked the Department of Agriculture for, for a comment on, on your concerns. We, we haven't heard back from them. Just just before we, we wrap up on, on that and just back to um, what we're doing here, if at the Burn Bio project, I was talking again to Patrick the other day, he was saying what's missing now you know, is the link between the consumer and the farmer and education is a vacuum, it could fill that vacuum. Young people around this area from a very young age learn about farming and food, don't they? They do. Um, when, I was, when I was in um, primary school, I think it was back in 2008, we were one of the very first um, schools to be involved in the Burnbio Schools Programme. And I still distinctly remember the day that Brendan came in to talk to us. Um, he came into my classroom in Kilnaboy and I remember him giving the, the spe- speech about farming and farming in the burn. And I remember just being enthralled by it. And I think that's so, so important to have that education from a very, very young age. Like that's how I suppose it really, it was always something in the back of my head. It fostered my passion for agriculture going up along. I knew about the burn. I knew how important it was. And I think it is so, so important. And just in terms of what Michael is talking about there, like at the at this moment in time, we are getting paid uh, as farmers in the burn. We're getting paid on one product, which is our Wainlands that we're selling this time of year. We're not getting paid going forward by the looks of the new acre scheme. We're not going to get paid for biodiversity. And that's all well and good, like um, getting paid for just a food commodity. That food commodity, farmers are not making money on that food commodity. It's, it's as simple as that. It, we need to get paid on protecting. We're in a time of a biodiversity crisis. Funding needs to be there. Let's protect what we have. Let's promote it. Let's encourage it. OK, all right. You want briefly to say something just to finish off? Uh, just to finish off, I Brendan. think um, with farmers, they have a, the lesson from the burn over the last 20 years is a message of hope for other places. We have all these crises, as Eve described. In my experience, if we work constructively with farmers right. through the pocket, financial support, through the head, um, advice and support, and through the heart, as Eva described, um, the schools programme. One of the nicest moments I've ever had in the Burn Damien has been to watch Eva lead 1,000 people and 25 cattle up a mountain right. as a former graduate of the Eco Be- Burn Programme. So beautiful. Exactly. Okay, uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much and the very best of luck with uh, all of that, Michael. We'll certainly keep an eye on it on the programme here and Uh, we will um, hopefully hear back from you on that well that's nearly all we have time for here in the community hall in Currafin in County Clare we are going to play out with a little bit of music but Aidan I'm not the most famous Damien O'Reilly in this part of the world am I? (laughs) No I believe um, my three colleagues here are part of Damien O'Reilly's and Parik O'Reilly's music class 
um, and they've they've come up the ranks there. Damien and Parik would be great yeah. um, teachers really well in, in, in Currafin and very well known. So absolutely, I often hear them on on Cayley House as they, well. They didn't so. teach me either. I, le- <laughs> I learned in Kilfenora, you know, where we're oh, d- yeah, in, in the Lowlands. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, listen. I'll let you get ready there because you are going to play us out uh, with a uh, with a set of reels. But thank you to everybody here in the community hall this morning um, and the Burren program for their welcome and hospitality. Thank you indeed for listening. Thanks to Kieran Dunn and Mark McGrath and Damien Gavigan who are on sound and of course our producer Eileen Heron who pulled all this together and Brian Moss our broadcast coordinator. The 30th season of Ear to the Ground is back on RT1 TV on Thursday at 7 o'clock. Until I talk to you next time uh, next week for my very final uh, Countrywide here on Radio 1. Bye bye and thanks for listening. And to finish this is Aidan, Lily, River and Evan with the reels Miss Monaghan and the Pigeon on the Gate.